0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: We -hmm. get
2: curious and then we allow that curiosity to allow for some questioning and those questions allow for us to offer children a little bit more space. And when we offer them a little bit more space, then we get a little more education so then we can facilitate what's happening because we start to understand what we're seeing
0: a little more. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 250. Today we're talking about raising free people with Akila Richards. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, now with over a million downloads. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years I'm the creator of mindful parenting and I'm the author of raising good humans a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind confident kids hello and welcome back I am so glad you are here today this is a great conversation I could have talked to Aquila for so much longer. So in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Akilah Richards, host of Fair of the Free Child, a lifestyle and parenting podcast about the connection between liberation, learning, and parenting, particularly among BIPOC communities. Her voice and work have been featured on NPR, NBC TV, Good Morning America's blog, and in essence and real simple, and she's a TEDx speaker and author of the book, Raising Free People. A fascinating conversation where we talk about these ideas about about our kids' education, right? What messages does our kids' education send? What are the lived results? Does their education keep their spark of curiosity alive? I mean, this is such a salient question during this time in 2020 when we, all our kids are home. And I'm really wondering this, like, is my is this remote learning like killing my child's spark of curiosity that I've been so protective of for so many years? You know, like me and a lot of us, you may be totally frustrated. Um, so I talked to Akila about her story of disenchantment and this maybe perhaps no, not so radical step of moving to self-directed learning so you can you'll hear how we examine the beliefs we take for granted how we can examine those and maybe the as we examine them we can liberate ourselves from harmful patterns how conventional education can be about being told what to do and enforcing that how there's no arrival point and unlearning is the process so this is a really fascinating conversation if you're interested in education. And I mean, even if you don't have kids in school, this is a really fascinating conversation. Can't wait for you to to dive into it. Before we dive in, I just want to let you know that we have some awesome sponsors for the Mindful Mama podcast. And I just want to tell you how selective I am in picking these sponsors. I have a service that connects me with sponsors and I reject like 50% of these sponsors because they're just not right. And I really want to be able to get behind the sponsors that come on the podcast. So if you love the Mindful Mama podcast, supporting the sponsors is a really great way to support the podcast and it's win-win because you get these amazing products and things. So just want to put a plug in for that. And as I record this intro, I don't know yet what's happened with the election here in the U.S. And so I'm just inviting us all like I'm kind of sitting in this space of heightened emotion. I'm a little anxious. I'm a little excited So I'm trying to breathe so since there's it's a time of greater challenge I need greater resources right and so I might invite you to consider that if you are in a time of greater challenge for whatever reason there's nothing wrong with you for that this has been a year of time of greater challenge and to just recognize that when you're in a time of greater challenge that you need greater resources that just wanting to calm your reactivity doesn't make it happen. Like just hoping things will be so doesn't make it happen. We need practices and skills to be able to bring our hearts and minds and bodies all together to the place that we want to be. And maybe that place is in that that calmer zone. Maybe it's in that more peaceful zone, more compassionate zone. So it's not just going to happen by hoping. And I know that for myself, being in this heightened place for me today, that it's not just gonna happen by hoping, that what I'm gonna do is I'm going to intentionally give it time, energy, and effort. I'm going to invest some of my energy into taking care of myself compassionately today. Um, So that means exercising my body, eating good food. It means probably go for a run to get my yayas out or do some yoga. And I'll probably do another meditation today because honestly, it's the kind of day where I need a couple. So just want to offer this idea that when there are greater challenges, we need greater resources. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope that you are in a peaceful, wonderful, loving place. As you listen to this podcast, maybe you're folding some laundry, maybe you're driving in the car. I don't know what you're doing, but I would love to know. So you can always let me know. And And that's, All I want to say before we dive into this fabulous conversation, you're going to love this conversation with Akilah. So join me at the table as I talk to Akilah Richards. Akilah, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast.
2: You're so welcome, Hunter. Thank you for the invitation.
0: I'm really interested to talk to you. I I love the title of your book, Raising Free People unschooling as liberation and healing work. I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm personally like really interested in this idea, even though my kids aren't unschoolers, um, Mm. because it's something I, um, I read about in college and i grew up with like my first friend was a homeschooled friend back when it was like really like a radical like strange thing to do and so i had this experience of like being in her house and like making candles with her and like doing like wind tunnels and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then um and then in graduate school i was in graduate school for art education and I became really interested in this idea of unschooling and like following the child and like that whole, those natural learn, you know, this natural spark of learning. Like, like how could we, how could we basically not kill it? Because like for me, I was this really like smart, precocious like kid, really interested in everything, who hated school. <laughs> I hated <laughs> it like enormously. Like, yeah. you know, I, I was like, you know, I was doing the... Doing the programs, I was on the honor roll, doing all those things, and I hated it. Um, it was really hard for me in a lot of different ways. And so for me, I was like, oh my God, like this kind of imagining this alternative, that thing that's kind of possible. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and you, so you also became really excited about homeschooling and then, and, and like unschooling. So, I, I'm just curious if you could kind of take us back a little bit into like your own story and how you ended up kind of just deciding to to take this path. Because I imagine that's like a big decision in itself. Yes.
2: Yeah, totally. I, like many of us, I imagine like I started out as a parent with going the conventional route. We were not homeschoolers. I hadn't even considered that. Um, Like you, I was you know, like kind of the checklist things as a kid, bright and got the good grades and all of that. And I recognized it as a, a you know, a type of currency. Like I could do whatever if mm-hmm. my grades were good. That was kind of my one job, you know, to get, do great in school and make sure my mom looks like a great mom because her kid's doing great in, in school. You know, so when Chris and I became parents, we took on a similar mindset. And then another layer of that. For us, is that as we are Jamaicans, my partner Chris and I are both Jamaicans, and we moved to the U.S. as children. You know, after our parents migrated, and so this whole idea of the American dream, and you go to college and you do all the you know these checklist things, we carried that right into parenting. And so when Marley, who's now sixteen, we have two daughters, uh, like you do, two daughters, mm-hmm. um, sixteen and fourteen, Marley and Sage, and. When they were littles, you know, starting school, Marley was a very um, assertive kid. She asked a lot of questions, never met a stranger. Um, you know, she was on the soccer team and would stop in the middle of running to try to schedule a play date <laughs> with someone's <laughs> mom. Like, she was just so outgoing. And, um, and then we noticed that after a time of her being in school, just that first year, it's like she was shrinking she was getting really um, nervous about asking whether she should ask a question or whether she would ask the wrong question or whether another kid wouldn't be her friend because the adult was like focusing on her and not her friend. Um, you know, so like those sort of things started to happen and Chris and I were like, Hmm, I wonder if she's going to get over it. Cause I mean, school just has lots of layers of stuff and that's how you learn to deal with that stuff in life and blah, blah, blah. You know, we just Mm kind of pat her on the head there, there hun. And, um, she started to express her like discontent with school and the process. And she's like, I don't have time to think my thoughts. I talk about this in the book, how her little hands were up in the air. And she's like, I, I just have so many thoughts and I don't have the time to think my thoughts, mama. And I just need more time. you know." And she was just so <laughs> frustrated that she had stuff to do at school. And then she had homework to do. And, you know, she was doing great. She got labeled gifted and talented. So did Sage when she started. And they were doing all the academic things right. But personality wise, they were shrinking and they were frustrated. And after a while, Chris and I just felt like maybe it wasn't a good idea to ignore what they were feeling because then maybe it would mean that they wouldn't trust us with what they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And even if it was about school, we felt like probably that's not good. We're not sure, but it's probably not good. Like they should probably, we should be trustworthy. They should trust that they could tell us stuff and we would actually consider it and not their there on it. And so the more we began to consider their concerns, the more we began to like look into actual you know, like the the whole setup of school and how we spent a lot of time as a Black family in a predominantly white area trying to like speak to what we felt were like basic things around why diversity was important in the space and like what we needed to be actively doing about that. And just a lot of things that were like this efforting in this direction, maybe we could be doing it in a direction that's actually more conducive to what Marley and Sage might need. And so eventually we stopped schooling to, to start to try to listen in and figure out what could happen. And then we were on schooling and then a couple years in found out it was a thing. That's kind of how we got into it.
0: You found <laughs> how old were they when you started?
2: Um, they were maybe nine and seven. Yeah, because Marley had only been in school for about
0: two years. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app.
1: That's it. Understood Explains. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above,
2: So they were about nine and seven, somewhere around there.
0: Oh wow. Wow. So that was a uh, and so just dear listener like so you understand what we're talking about some of you I know homeschool and some don't and from my own understanding which is limited I you know there's there's like homeschooling where you're doing school at home you have a curriculum blah 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 there's a whole range of different homeschooling options and unschooling which which is what he was talking about being kind of considered like sort of like in the one end of the spectrum where there's not very much structure that like, you know, where there's like kind of the one end where there's a school at home structure, like we're, we're doing school from these workbooks and this curriculum from this time to this time to the other, the other end of the spectrum, which is unschooling, which is very much like the child follow, the child is learning as he or she moves through life, mm-hmm. and following those kind of learning patterns. Would you say that's correct? What, what, what? Can you fill in the gaps for yeah. me there again? Yeah, thanks for that, <laughs> and I appreciate that because
2: I feel like that's an important part of um, increasing access to it. Like to hear, I feel like it's always so valuable to hear someone who doesn't identify as an unschooler talk about how they experience or understand it, because um, there's it. That makes sense for me too. What you said, it is that. Um, And I would add to that, that it's not not the absence of structure, it's absence of a predetermined structure, Mm -hmm. and it's absence of a non-consensual structure. That's the difference. So in the general sense with school or school at home, it's non-consensual in that a child is doing what they're told to do, and they're required to do it, and they can do it nicely, or they can do it with yoga in between and whatever, but they need to do that. This is the requirement. This is how we understand that they'll learn a thing. And they also need to prove to us that they've learned the thing. Unschooling says that the structure, which could include curriculum, because lots of unschoolers, like my oldest daughter, use curriculum, but she chose it um, and it's connected to things that she's interested in, and she's held accountable because she wants to be held accountable because she's interested and understands that she can't hold herself accountable because, in, in terms of like completing each of the things, and so she invites that accountability. Um, so that's what it is. And I actually have a definition of unschooling that I like to use, and I'll offer it here. Um, I say that unschooling is a child trusting, anti-oppression liberatory, love-centered approach to parenting and caregiving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, the other part of that is that it is also creating and expanding communities of confident, capable people who understand how they learn best and how to work collaboratively to learn and solve things.
0: Mm, I love that you know for me like that that just lights up so many uh, li- lights I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's like so for me it, it's it's so like uh, it's such a like a beautiful pure like aspiration you know it's interesting because I uh, having having kind of looked at you know I, I read John Holt in graduate school and kind of looked at that and looked at kind of these different types of schooling. I mean, for me, I ultimately settled on, I, I, I'm personally really passionate about Montessori. I'm a, I'm a founder of a free public Montessori school here in the data, mm-hmm. state of Delaware, because for me, it was like, oh, it's like the middle path <laughs> between like, you know, yeah. like me doing it at home and, and having that, uh, you know, having what you describe like this, like open structure and things like that. But like me mm-hmm. having this fear of like, Oh, good Lord. Like, it's just, I'm not, it's just not sure I'm ready to, to take on all that. Right. And to, to be that and, and to like make my life around that. Right. And, and the, and, and my real very real problems with the traditional school traditional schools and the you know the the, the reward punishment external locus of control all of that stuff mm-hmm. you know and so for me this uh, that's what i became very passionate about that idea of following the child that that montessori holds and and your your approach holds right um but i, I you know, to take it that step further, I mean, it's, it's really beautiful, I think. And, and is, it's working out, I imagine, for you. <laughs>
2: yeah, definitely. I, absolutely, in so many ways. And, and what I particularly love about it, Hunter, is that I, most of, much of, maybe even most of the approach to learning, when we talk about childhood and education learning, it, it is very much approached like something that is done to or even for children. Mm-hmm. And for me, self-directed education, of which unschooling is one type, and we can talk about the other types of self-directed education if you want. But what I love about unschooling in particular, and SDE, self-directed education overall, is that um, it it's not it's not something we do to or for children. It's an approach. It's a mindset. It's a relationship dynamic mm. that that encompasses learning because learning is always happening we we know as adults that we learn from lots of different things you and i don't just learn when we sit in front of a computer with a book with the you know intention to learn a thing you and i are learning from each other right now when i looked you up when i decided to say yes i learned things you know like we learn mm-hmm. all the time when i sit and watch the squirrels that i'm looking at outside of my room like There's information and knowledge um, and all of our senses and experiences combine in ways that we understand and don't understand to to create like knowledge and connection. Um, These are natural things and school is one place where sometimes we can simulate that and we can be effective with that, but it isn't it isn't the only place that it happens. So as an unschooler, I am also learning and unlearning so much as opposed to another thing that I'm giving to my child, where I might learn about the person who started that thing or I might learn a little bit about child development. But as an unschooler, I learn about myself. I learn about um, social justice issues. I learn about belonging. I learn about my own biases and how they show up. I learn about, How um, colonization and the myth of white supremacy influenced my parenting practice,
1: like Mm
2: -hmm. it's a completely different opening and access point to like learning and relationships, and not just information that I think a child should learn and how they should learn it nicely.
0: You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love I love what you (laughs) say about that. Like yes, yes, and I love what you say about it's a relationship. It's not something we do to children. And, right. and I've s- that, I'm so on board with that I mean, because that's the whole approach of mindful parenting, right? It's like we are in a relationship with these people exactly. for our whole lives. It's like discipline is about, is about teaching, you know, and, and teaching how we can help each other, meet each other's needs, and get along in the world and get along in our right. household. Not something we do to our children, right? This exactly. Is, a relationship.
2: Yeah, yet much of our approach to learning is very much about what we tell children to do for whatever the reasons are, and that we do not their consent is not considered. Mm -hmm. Their joy is considered. We love them, we care about them. We know that they are little scientists, but their consent is not considered. And so for me, you know, even back to when you you asked about how that started for us, want to go into a little bit about like what it opened up for us. Mm -hmm. I recognize that even in my own work as again someone who moved to the US and you know raised by parents who understandably bought into the American dream and for me as a black woman raising black women I couldn't I couldn't continue to do a thing that says okay as a as a black girl as a black woman becoming what you should do in order to survive and even thrive is to follow people's directions, do what makes people comfortable, um, show up in your body and in your words and how you speak and all of that in a way that is approved by the people in power. And then at the same time, be free, like be yourself, that those two things don't go together. (laughs) Like you, you have to have a different perception of yourself than what schooling teaches us here, particularly for Black children. So there's a lot of discord there that Chris and I were like, we can either keep trying to like counter or offer something to like go against what they're learning in those spaces or not learning, or we can do something totally different where we can include the whole person and not have to work so much about like what the myths of white supremacy make pervasive in schooling in particular.
0: So, so what was your own schooling like? What did you have to unlearn about that? <laughs>
2: Dude, like, oh my god, Hunter, that's a whole podcast series. (laughs) Because it's so connected, right? Like, how we were raised and Mm -hmm. how we're socialized. Because I, you know, I I went to my first school years were in Jamaica. So I was in primary school. Jamaica was colonized by the British, among others. But the most recent one was the British. And so the school system is um, very similar. And it also includes like corporal punishment. So we were hit. (sighs) in school. Really? So I grew up in yeah, so I grew up in and I was, you know, I mean, I'm forty, I'll be forty three this month. So it wasn't like a long, 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 long time ago. No, no.
0: We're the same age. I'm 42. <laughs> yeah, That's see. Nuts. Yeah.
2: So it wasn't that 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 long ago, contrary to what my children say. Like mom, in the olden days when you were in primary school, like it was not, you don't get to add the E <laughs> N. It was just old, not old end. But um <laughs> in the old days in primary school, we were hit. And we also um you know, we had like the type of punishment where if you got things wrong, you would be put in the corner to like hold your ear and your leg, you know, like that was very normal for us. Um, and being beaten in front of other people and all of that stuff. Um, also at home to a lesser extent, that was also normal. You were, Mm -hmm. you know, the punishment, a lot of the grooming was hitting, um, Mm -hmm. And so I started out with that as well, you know, especially Marley, you know, being my first and we called it nice things like, oh, I would pop her on the hand or give her a little pinch or a little, you know, we didn't say beat, even though that's what it is. Cause I'm much bigger and stronger and she couldn't do, you know, she couldn't mm-hmm. make me not do it. So my upbringing was that. And also my upbringing was, as I mentioned, the currency of being like the smart kid, So, I was involved in everything, and my grades were very much tied to my sense of like pride. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I was captain of everything and all of those things, and got a scholarship to college and, you know, all of that stuff. And so, it definitely was part of my lens um, as a parent.
3: Wow.
0: Am I, I was also like spanked, but I had this real sense of like, this was not okay kind of growing no. up. Did you have that sense no. growing up that Absolutely it wasn't okay?
2: Absolutely not. No, because we're,
0: for, it's like everyone
2: got hit. I mean, it was even to the point where it's like, of course my parents hit me because like they care and they don't want me to be out there crazy. It, it, didn't, it didn't feel good. It felt bad. Um, and it made me distrusting, you know, of the adults in my life, but I didn't put that together with it not being okay. Oh,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I know that's a mindset. It's like, so, but you've, you, it sounds like you've come around to a really radically different mindset. Totally. And, yeah. And, you know, because, I mean, I, I mean, I know that, you know, we can't, you know, our modeling—what we do—is much more powerful than what we say. Of course, yeah. with our children, like how, how we live and who we are, is much yeah. more powerful than anything else. So, you know, if, uh, we can't be sort of like hitting our children and then expect them not to be aggressive, or or do dominating someone else, right? Because that's like kind of a domination, right? So, yes. what talk other, to me, yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit about your your journey um, through from that mindset to where you are now.
2: Sure. And I credit so much of that to unschooling as Chris and I understand it. You know, it really is an unlearning. It is like a, a decolonizing of our mindset. Because what I say, Hunter, is that I I realized over time, and over time means being in actual relationship with Marley and Sage. So when we, when we broke them out of school prison and they were no longer like, you know, um, ruled by a schedule and a curriculum that some politician somewhere decided not even the teachers who loved them because they had great teachers actually wonderful teachers but they weren't the teachers who loved them were not the ones in control of the curriculum and the details and so even marley and sage's temperaments were different because studenthood and personhood you show up differently Um, and so in relationship with marley and sage I, i got to learn And unlearn so much about like just human connection and about how they learned and about how much my fears about what they didn't learn, like how that was rooted in like the marketing around the educational complex and not the actual Marley or the actual Sage. So that's when I started to be able to spend more time with them. And that time wasn't about spending time teaching them something or spending time even facilitating them learning something, you know, like taking them to the park so that we could learn about the trees or whatever the hell, like just being with them, just observing them, asking them actual questions, not like, what are you learning? But like, what is that? Or do you care about this? Or let's watch this together. That was really portal that opened up another portal that opened up another portal for me to recognize that a lot of what I was doing, one, it wasn't even based on what I believed. It was just how I was socialized. Mm -hmm. And two, the things that I was doing, they were working in opposition to my actual goal of wanting to be in a healthy long-term relationship as a trustful adult for my children. Mm -hmm. So like if they, if I wasn't trustworthy because I could just mess about and like hit them, then that worked in opposition to me wanting to, to be in a real relationship with them or a healthy one. So then I had to figure out what to do differently. So then I would just test stuff out and we would have actual conversation. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like when my friend did a thing and she didn't like it. And I mean, and I didn't like it and I said something and then we talked about it. Oh shit, like that could work with like kids too. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like when I, I asked that. <laughs> right? Like it just never dawned on me because they were mine. And so the thing that I say is that when I talk about decolonizing my parenting is that I realized that I saw my children in a similar mindset as maybe the British saw Jamaica or whoever, whatever colonizer saw whatever space to say, look at this brilliant opportunity for me to take this sovereign space and turn it into something good and useful. Let me just like the, forget about the fact that there are people here who have ways of of understanding and wisdom and knowledge and rights, I have ideas about who they should be, and I care, and I understand, and I'm smarter for whatever my reasons are, so let me go in and make this place better, and I do not need their consent to do it. I started to see the similarity between that colonization and the type that was happening in my household. That's where I came up with raising free people. It's like, yeah, if their sovereignty was intact, How would we operate differently
0: this is there's so much in there that i want to kind of touch on but that whole idea like even for like dear listener like you know whether you're a white person or a brown person or whatever this whole idea that akila's sharing of the way that we look at children as as the as like a colonizer might look at the colonized, like I know better I'm in power I'll do it without their consent like this is the way that we largely look at children throughout the culture right like this is mm-hmm. the way that we we say you know we speak to children in a very different way we give them orders and commands and things and we just talk to them in ways that we would never talk to our good friend or a respected auntie or whoever right because yeah. and and we don't you, we often just don't even see that, right? Just like Achille, you didn't see that. Like we just exactly. don't. We don't see that. Our eyes aren't open in awareness to that. But I, I I'm hoping for do you, dear listener, like this conversation can open your eyes to this. Like whatever color your skin is, like this is the way we in our culture generally at large really do look at children. Um, I think that's I think that's really true. And then, yeah. and then the, the other, you said something about when you talked about decolonizing your mindset, you said your fears were rooted in the marketing around,
3: yeah edu- around education. Around education. Like,
0: so I would yeah. love for you to just like unpack that a little. Cause I think that that might have yeah. gone, gone by, I mean, for me, I'm not, I'm not totally sure exactly what you mean about that. You know what I mean? Like, I'd like to yeah. like, understand that a little more
2: gladly. Um, so, so a lot of time now, over the years, um, I've been in relationship and in some cases, even in community like extended relationship with folks who are figuring out what it looks like to be in healthier relationships with their children and for their mm-hmm. children to be in healthier relationships with their learning journeys. And a lot of what I've recognized in my own experience and in those relationships, whether I was coaching or you know with somebody on the podcast or a community that I was invited into or a series just all the myriad ways that I get to engage i realize that our a lot of the fears we have don't come from what's actually happening with our child like oh they're not able to do these things and i recognize how that's an issue and so i have a concern it's more this thing that i read or this thing i saw on instagram or this chart or this you know, thing I heard on this station says that seventy percent of kids know this by this time. Or when I'm in this play group, everyone else's kid knows how to do this, and mine doesn't. And the marketing says that that's that means that there's a deficiency. My child is being left behind. You know, the language of it is very much to sell things, just like with clothes. Like you need these things in order to to be better, to be shinier, to have an advantage. Sometimes that's true. And oftentimes it's just marketing. And Mm -hmm. so for a lot of parents, when they get off the hamster wheel, when there's enough of a disruption, meaning a child is pushing back enough, unfortunately, because that's what it takes. Young people usually have to go all out before we're like, oh, wait, you need something. So when they do that, then that's an opportunity for us to recognize that what is happening with my actual child here and how much of that is influenced by the fears that come from the marketing that my child isn't on par with some other smart kid. Lots of parents come to that realization. And that's what I mean by that. So, so the actual relationship dynamic, the actual needs of the child are like secondary, tertiary, all the way down there in comparison to all of the things we're hearing all the time about where our kids should be and, and how they compare to others.
0: Thank you for explaining that because that that makes so much sense to me. I mean, that's that's the comparing mind, that's the judging mind. That's yeah, that, it's that's capitalism.
2: The, the it's mar- all those
0: things. yeah, the marketing <laughs> yeah. that says like you're not, you know, you not good enough, so mm-hmm. that you are buy this, you know, product or pharmaceutical or whatever yeah. to better. But but that's also. Part of what mindfulness really combats is like that—that that comparing mind. What's actually real right now? Can we be curious? Can we exactly? Be, can we? Our children are really like this ever-changing flow. They're never the same person twice, just as we aren't. So, yeah. can we be curious about that? But I imagine there's a lot of like our own fears, right? Like, of course, kind of like understanding our own fears and yep. and and un- uncovering that as well. You know, yep. you talked about you know we talked before we got on about this idea of like you you had to unlearn your own baggage you know I, i'm imagining the the listener here you know saying oh my goodness i i could never d- I could never do that because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Or yes. and and mm-hmm. in your TEDx talk, you talk about the idea of like um, you start with this question: Are in- children inherently tr- untrustworthy? Yeah. Um, I know I'm kind of bringing up a lot of things here, but, <laughs> but I think they're yeah. all really connected, right? Yeah. Like there's these there's our own baggage and our own fears, and they're not necessarily things we examine. They're just habit energies that keep recurring in our lives. That which is recite. why the
2: mindfulness is so important, right? Because if we are not deliberate and intentional, then they will just continue. And I love that you used Hunter the word curious, because in relation to specifically what you just said, like, you know, folks listening who are like, yeah, uh, good for you, buddy, because I could never even get there. Like to be clear, I am unlearning and I'm constantly unlearning. There's no arrival point. Just like I'm also a minimalist. And for me, there's no like arrival point for that. It looks like different things at different parts of my journey. A lot of it is about discerning and not necessarily like the final answer, the outcome. It's the process. And so for me, when I when I think about and even experience that, that fear, as you said at the top of our, our conversation, Hunter, about like, Orienting your whole life to that. It's like, could I even do that? You know, is this something that I would even want to take on? Could I do it? The answer is yes, because what it is, it's just about de schooling, um, moving outside of a lot of the things that, as you mentioned, we don't examine. And I have a definition also <laughs> for de schooling um, that I'll share here because it it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Um, so I, I say deschooling is. Shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, your body, your thoughts, your actions, right? Shedding the programming and habits that resulted from other people's agency over your time, your body, your thoughts, your actions. So as when, when you say, if you get a disruption, meaning something's happening with your kid in conventional education or something happens with you or a pandemic occurs, can you imagine? And then you now have to like rethink what it looks like. A big part of the problem I talk about in my book, The Other Pandemic, which is that we actually don't know how to be in relationship with each other. We know how to be told what to do and how to enforce that. And so when we have to look at learning and and education from a space that invites consent, Then there's the pushback of agency. If you're not right in front of me, if it's virtual, you can't make me do this. So now, what does learning look like? My mom has to go to work, so she can't force me to do this packet. And you, I'm not going to follow your rules and not wear shoes because that's ridiculous. And even though those are some of the rules that they're putting, all of these things are showing up. So now, what do we do? We get curious. We say, what might it look like if I pay more attention to how my child does want to spend their time? even if it's playing video games, what knowledge don't I have about video games that might help me to be in a less combative conversation with them about games? Oh, they seem to like to move around a lot. Maybe I can look into somatics and see like what I don't understand about why they move around instead of looking at why school says they should be sitting for this many hours. You know, like we Mm -hmm. get curious and then we allow that curiosity to Um, allow for some questioning and those questions allow for us to offer children a little bit more space and when we offer them a little bit more space then we get a little bit of more education so then we can facilitate what's happening because we start to understand what we're seeing a little more like that's kind of the the rhythm that happens in unschooling and you become a little bit more practice in 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 being comfortable that you don't understand and that As you continue to question and be in community with other people who are learning what it means to be around free people, that you do have the resources to facilitate learning and that you don't have to be the teacher for learning to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that's kind of then you start to look at an ecosystem that's already taking shape. You look at your child's schedule and you think about your own boundaries and what you like. And then so that's gonna determine what time you do what things. It's an emergent. Structure that is dynamic, like humans are,
0: you know it's so interesting to kind of to kind of like make it like kind of more concrete, you know as i when I take these ideas and I think like well it, if I were to apply this in my own life, like my own older child is uh, a really like a sort of classic Montessori kid and that she's just like, give me all the things to learn and I want Mm -hmm. to learn them. And she just loves, she's super precocious in that way. And I always had this idea like, oh, wouldn't it be, it would be amazing if she went through this sort of system and then, you know, if she wanted to, she could just be homeschooler or, or whatever. She could, I envisioned her as like a really self-directed learner if she wanted to Mm -hmm. learn at home for like high school or something. But then when I think, and I've asked her about it and she doesn't want that actually. Like that's not her jam. Um, But she, but my younger child is 10 and she's not so, you know, she's not like the, the super student, you know, she's normal, (laughs) normal student. She likes some things. She doesn't like some things. She could spend, You know hours and hours looking up what rescue horse that she wants to to get and and uh, you know and did oodles of of math figuring out like the uh the how much it would cost to to take it home and what exactly she would need and and four years of room and board and all of these things and so if i think oh well what if what if i what you're saying i guess is offering me this opportunity to like consider and get curious about what would it be for her like if I offered her the opportunity to learn at home would she want to what would that exactly and And how much would
2: you learn about that process because even as you said like she's not a super student but she is because you just explained to me a bunch of super student stuff about something that she's interested in so it's like even the idea that we think of like Um, studenthood in the confines of school. Whereas to be a student is, it means that you're studying a thing in depth and she was doing that with horses Mm -hmm. and all of that. So she is that just not in the, through the lens of schoolishness.
0: Yeah. 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 I, this is this is interesting. You're giving me you're you're giving me a lot of food for thought. And one of the things that people think about, like as maybe as a listener is considering that to me, and to me it kind of like makes my heart beat a little faster. I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be a little scary. But uh you know, like, you know, what some people question. You know, I I work from home. I get to shape my yeah. own schedule. I have like a great life in that way. My husband also works from home. What what is this only for privileged people? Is this only for for people who right. don't don't work? Like, yeah. and I know you talk you push back against that, and I'd like to kind of hear that a little bit and, and why Definitely. because I think that's a really important part of the conversation.
2: It is. So my entire podcast, Fair of the Free Child is committed to um, us collectively as human beings earthwide to de-school from the idea that the freedom to design a learning path that makes sense for you is a privileged thing. Um, It actually, the opposite of that is what I see as the privileged thing. And the reason I say the podcast is for that is that you'll hear stories of hundreds of people literally all over the world who unschool from a variety of different um, home dynamics because unschooling is not my kid at home doing whatever it is they want and I make sure they have everything they need to do whatever they want. It's just consent-based learning. Mm -hmm. So lots of, there are, as you and I were talking about before we started recording Hunter, there are unschooling schools. Um, They're called, some of them are called agile learning centers. So folks can look into that. There are also Sudbury schools, which are also self-directed spaces. They're not unschooling schools, but they're self-directed spaces. Um, A lot of homeschooling co-ops that are not tied to schools, but more like intentional learning communities and informal collectives and or formalized cooperatives. Many of those offer um, like one here in Atlanta, Kid Cultivators, they do a very good job of making it a holistic approach to learning so that families who allow their kids to be free to learn however they want or other ones who do slow or sometimes schooling where they dip in and out as their kid needs to, um, all of those dynamics, all of those configurations are happening. So I would say that if if someone's listening and it's like, well, this wouldn't work for me because for example, I'm a single parent, Um, and I have multiple children, and I work outside the home. There are many unschoolers like that because you do it in collaboration. And that's one of the powerful things about unschooling. It is a form of social justice work or can be oftentimes because it calls for collective. Mm. You know, it calls for you to not need one charismatic leader or one excellent teacher. It calls for people to be in community to say, um, since I work, And I'm a part of this co-op. My the other people in the co-op can pick my kid up. But I because I work, I have a little bit of disposable income here. So I'm gonna make sure that I'm putting in an extra $50 for the bus for when we do the trips. Like these are the ways we're like Mm. rehumanizing and reconnecting because a lot of what schooling did was also separate that, you know, so that we don't know our neighbors, we don't know who's in our community because we're in a classroom and we're going on a field trip. 20 miles away and we don't even know the shop owner down the road
0: Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what I'm
2: saying so so that's how it 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 looks communal in a lot of spaces in a variety of ways and so it is for it is not just for people who are like rich or white which is those are the two perceptions people tend to have well of course Elon Musk's kids on school because he's Elon Musk (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so do mine and I'm definitely not Elon Musk.
0: <laughs> but I don't know if the co-op will be able to pronounce his kid's name. Uh, <laughs> um I love that idea in some ways because we are lonely. Like many of us yep. are really lonely. We need to be coming together. If it were for the sake of our kids that we come together, then maybe all the better for ourselves. Now, d- I know that uh, we've discussed a lot about this. Now, now in your own journey, and as you navigate all this learning and unlearning and all these changes, and I know you guys are digital nomads, so you move and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. How do you? How, what are your own personal practices, Akila, for staying grounded, for steadying your heart and mind um, yes. on a daily basis?
2: I love that question. So important. I feel like in a lot of parenting spaces, we, um, we're so reactive, you know, about taking care of ourselves. And it's so important to have a practice um, in place and in mind. Um, so I'm glad that you presenced that here. Thanks for asking. Um, my relationship with plants is, is something that pretty recently is in the past couple of years is, is one of the ways that I've been grounding myself. Um, I say all the time that being a mom has been really useful for me to be like a good plant care person because <laughs> um, it feels really good to watch them, you know, bloom and to learn about the different types of plants and when I'm being too much and when I'm being not enough and kind of like with my kids. <laughs> so that's been really good. Um, I'm also really into movement. I dance all the time. You know, I'm an island woman who love to dance. So um, I dance quite often. And a lot of my spiritual practices in terms of connections to my ancestors and making sure that what I'm putting into my body and spending time in solitude and listening, you know, that those things are part of my, my regular rotation.
0: And, and also, One more question. I I know I'm kind of coming to the end, but I'm just curious about this. Is it, is it challenging and are your, are your own parents alive and is it challenging for them to see you reject in some ways, the culture of like popping your kids one or whatever, Mm -hmm. what, you know what I mean? Of that that punishment is, is that, is that challenging and how for you, I know this is a bigger discussion, but I'm just curious personally.
2: Yeah, that's also something we talk a lot about on Fair of the Free Child because a lot of you know people from various cultures have a similar experience, you know, in looking at how their parents view it, especially if their parents are part of their support system and their opinion really matters. Yeah, and both of my parents are around. Um, and I think when the girls were much younger, they definitely had the concerns because it was like, oh, they're so smart and you want to make sure they stay smart in school and you know that sort of thing, but now we don't get that anymore because they're around marley and sage and they're like oh my god they're amazing my parents should have done this that's what we get (laughs) from them they because they're around the girls and see how amazing and dynamic they are that's just a non-issue
0: the proof is in the pudding
2: Pretty much <laughs>
0: <laughs> i that's what i that's what that's what I think people see I mean that's what oftentimes like a partner sees right yeah, like, totally because that's adapt. another thing,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. one partner might be on board, and then another one's like, that's mm-hmm. foolishness, crazy, can't do it, but then you get around the kid and you're like, Oh, is this what happens? Oh, okay, got it, bet no problem
0: yeah, yeah, there's more <laughs> cooperation, more trust. Yep. More, less resistance, all of those things. And yeah. So, yeah. Recognizing
2: there's... their own wounds as well. We didn't yeah. talk about this, but like school wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that shows up oftentimes when adults are at first like, nah, kids need these things, blah, 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 blah. They, we have a conversation about how they were treated in school and the sort of wounds that showed up for them. And then right away we get eye to eye like, oh my God, of course kids should do this. Let's talk about what it might look like.
0: You know, <laughs> mm, I feel like yeah. a, this is awesome. I feel like this conversation is really opening up a lot of possibilities, at least in Go my ahead. mind, and I hope for the listener um that it's opening up possibilities for you. I think that this uh journey that you 've done of opening up your own possibilities and saying like what the heck? Like, this is my one wild and precious life. Like, I need to yes. live it in the way I have to live it. And opening up this possibility is really beautiful because you, by living this and also by doing all the teaching and sharing in the book and all that stuff that you're doing, is giving permission for so many other people to do that. And, you know, and, and I think that's awesome. I just want to. I thank acknowledge you. you and thank you for that. That's really I appreciate
2: that. Yeah, I hear that all the time about the permission and it it is mm-hmm. so affirming because I know what it's like also to not even realize that I need permission mm-hmm. to do something and there's so many other people in this and other movements who've done that for me. So I love hearing that feedback because it it affirms that I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I want us to normalize you know liberated learning like, dude, seriously, can we just like be free to design learning paths that make sense for each of us as humans? I don't feel like that's too much to ask.
0: <laughs> mm. Oh, you know, I don't ask my husband to listen to many podcasts of mine because who wants to listen to their <laughs> wife's voice talk, but, but I might ask him to listen to this one. Akil, where can people uh, find out more about you and what you're doing?
2: Raisingfreepeople.com. Everything is there. Um, and also, if you're a podcast person, which I think it's safe to say you are, <laughs> then I encourage you to listen to Fair of the Free Child podcast wherever podcasts are listened to.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your time and your voice with us today. It's been honestly a true pleasure. I'm like smiling and and, had, and <laughs> have enjoyed it enormously. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much.
2: You are so welcome. And thank you again for the invitation. I so appreciate it. Hunter,
0: be well. I love what Akila has to say about education and about examining these things and, and wondering, you know, asking ourselves these questions, like, is this is this right for my child? And maybe can I step to do something different? You know, Um, maybe, maybe not. We'll, we'll find out. If you like this episode, I really love when you share a screenshot of yourself listening to the episode, wherever you're listening to it, tag me, tag me on Facebook, tag me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor.com. Tell me what your takeaways are. And I'm so sad, no new iTunes, Apple Podcasts reviews to report since September. So if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, makes such a big difference. And of of course, a great way to support the podcast. So I hope you're doing well. I hope that you are taking care of yourself, keeping yourself happy and as best you can and safe and reaching outside of your comfort zone sometimes and comforting yourself sometimes, you know, taking time for taking care of your needs because your needs are just as important as your child's needs. Your child needs to see you becoming a balanced, vibrant person, human in the world. And that is one of the best ways you can model for your child how to live in this world is to live a balanced, healthy, thriving life yourself as best you can. So give yourself the resources you need, the time you need, And remember your self-care is not selfish. It's actually your responsibility. So take care of yourself. I'm so grateful and happy to have been in your ears today, connecting with you. Um, Please do let me know what your takeaways are. Share that screenshot of you listening to the podcast and tag me. I want this to be a two-way conversation. I wanna be connected to you. So please do let me know. And I wish you peace, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.
4: I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just I'd say
3: communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you.
4: No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this.
3: You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift
1: everything in your parenting
0: are you frustrated by parenting do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies but you're just not seeing the results that you want or are you lost as to where to start does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com.
1: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
4: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct.
1: Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom.